Well, take your Bible, turn with me to the Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Um, you may remember we were, we've been here for, this is my third sermon uh, in this book, and we're going to be preaching through it until we finish. Now, next week we'll be interrupted again, but um, uh, we're starting at verse number 15 from chapter 1. And so I'm going to read these verses 15 through 18. And let me preface this by saying, uh, this message that the Lord put on my heart to share, we're just going through passage by passage. So I've got to seek the Lord as to what I'm going to preach about in every passage we get to. It's not like it's pre-done somewhere, you know. So I'm pray- praying for the Lord to guide me. But I would feel very good and comfortable preaching this message anywhere, anywhere in the world. I remember one time I preached in Nigeria, and I preached a, a message there, it was well-received, uh, Ghana as well. But, I, but this is a message, it's not about our behavior. It's about Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of misinformation or conflict over the name and person of Jesus Christ. So I, I would feel comfortable preaching this anywhere in the world, at any time, at a Catholic church, a Protestant church, a Pentecostal church, whatever. This is the Word of God. There's no flowery stuff with this. It's simply the Word of God. So anyway, Colossians 1 and verse 15. I'm going to read 15 through 18, then I'm going to pray. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Lord God, thank you for your word, pure and unadulterated word of God. Thank you, Lord. May this passage speak to our hearts powerfully on this day. We pray, Lord, for those on live stream and those that will watch this later through social media, through the YouTube page or whatever. May may this message speak to our hearts in a very powerful and a very clear way. Lord, I pray for your anointing to be on me. Let me let me speak the way you want. Anoint my lips and my mind and my spirit that I'll bring forth the word of God the way you want today. Lord, in, in all things, be glorified. And may your church be edified through the proclamation of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the subject, in a nutshell, is who exactly is Jesus? Even today, if you mention the name of Jesus to somebody, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be a discussion, maybe a dispute, certainly a lot of passion on one side or the other. But I I heard from research, researching, my research tells me that billions of people today have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And probably more than one billion people profess to be Christians and profess to have received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. However, describing this Jesus is often a challenge or a mystery or a theological nightmare for some, although it doesn't have to be that way. I've entitled the sermon, The Preeminence of Christ. I was going to entitle it, Will the real Jesus please stand up? But then I realized he already did stand up. 
when he arose from the grave that day. But the preeminence of Christ. This is going to be part one of a three-part series for the next couple of Sundays. Talking about the preeminence of Christ and today in creation, verses 15 through 18. Verses 19 to 23 in redemption. And then in verses 24 to 29 in the church. The main point that I want to bring out today is that Jesus is more than our friend, although he is definitely our friend. He's more than the carpenter from Nazareth, more than the carpenter's son, although he is that. He's more than a great teacher. He's definitely a great teacher. But these sermons for the next couple of weeks will present Jesus as God in the flesh and God in the spirit working today. Now, my, my background for sharing this is, is uh, because I have people in my family and friends, and probably many of you do too, that tell me that they believe in Jesus. However, when we talk about which Jesus they believe in, it's a different Jesus than I believe in. Now, you heard my story. I don't want to go into the whole detail, but many years ago, uh, our, our, I was in a, a social uh, assistant pastor of Harvest Time Assembly of God that met in a, a former grammar school. And uh, so we rented the facilities out. But across the hallway from where our office was located was a new age, a new age group. I don't want to say minister, a new age group. And they had all sorts of signs on their wall about Jesus the healer, Jesus speaking today, and so on and so forth. But let me tell you, without any misunderstanding, that was a much different Jesus than the Jesus that I know. And I got into a pretty in-depth discussion with the director one day, and uh, I just wanted to clarify to him that we serve two different Jesuses. And I, I thought, you know, in Galatians, Paul wrote to the church there. He said, I'm so surprised. Who has bewitched you to believe a different gospel? You know that passage? I think it's in chapter 1 of Galatians. Who has, who has made you think differently about this Jesus that we preach to you? So I want to share today that Jesus is God. And in verse number 18, he has the preeminence meaning he is superior in creation, redemption, and the church. The word of God says so. All right, so this message is not about how we're supposed to behave. We could preach on that, we, you know, things we're supposed to do. We do a lot of that. But this is about who Jesus is. And I think this is very important to to consider and to reconcile in our own mind and heart and spirit. So going back a couple of weeks, we we focused on, on chapter one, verse number five, the hope of glory. Paul is saying, whoever receives this gospel receives the hope of glory. Life is different because we have a different spirit in us because we received the gospel. It's a unique work of the Holy Spirit. We're born again. Hallelujah. Verse number 9 of chapter 1, the second sermon, we read, read that Paul was praying for the church, uh, consistently praying for the church. And we found out through studies that that probably went on for at least 10 years, maybe more than that. And so we talked about the importance of praying. And he, he prayed for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He didn't pray for them to have a full belly or the latest horse or carriage for, of the day. He prayed that they would have the knowledge of God, which is a great thing to pray for. 
In verse number 12, if you just look back in your chapter 1, Paul gives thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father has made a way by sending the Son, Jesus, correct? Verses 13 and 14, which I remember two weeks ago, I got, I got a little, not that I got stuck on it, but I, I was a little fixated on those two verses because it says that He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And the Son of His love is the one who brought redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. So we're redeemed and we're delivered, we're conveyed, we're forgiven by Jesus. And so when I think of uh, uh, verse, uh, starting with verse number 15, now He, and we're going to go verse by verse through these, uh, these uh, four verses. He, who we just read, is, who came as the Lamb of God, who take, you know, to, came to take away the sins of the world, uh, born of a virgin, born in Nazareth, born of Mary, lived a sinless life, died on the cross and rose from the grave and ascended. But when we look at verse number 15, we have a different description of Jesus. He's not being described as the Lamb of God, although He is the Lamb of God. It says, He, Jesus, the one who redeemed us and grants us forgiveness by his blood. He's the image of the invisible God. The word image is where we get our word icon. Or he's a representation of the invisible God. If you look at verse number 19, it says, It pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. In chapter 2, verse 9, we read, In him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I remember reading about Philip the Apostle. You know, do you know Philip the Apostle? The lover of horses, right? That's what his name means, Philip the lover of horses. One day Philip was talking with Jesus, and Philip said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And, and the scripture says that Jesus looked at Philip and said, Oh, Philip... I've been with you so long. Don't you know that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? How could you ask me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John the Apostle says something similar in John chapter 1, first couple of verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things that were made were made through Him. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. This is the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, right there, we lost probably a couple of million people. Because they don't want to hear that Jesus is God. You know, one, one author of a, one founder of a cult called The Way International wrote a book called Jesus is Not God. And millions believed it. So what I'm saying today has to be said. If it's not said in the church, where are people going to, they're going to go online and find all a million different ways to think about who Jesus is. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. You know, I'm, I'm not, this is not a flowery, you know, how to live your Christian life. No, this is about who Jesus is. 
In verse number 15, it says, uh, it says he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Well, we think, well, he was born in Bethlehem. Yes, he was uh, manifested in Bethlehem. He emptied himself from glory, Philippians 2, and, and came to dwell in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but he's the firstborn of all creation. He's the highest ranking in overall creation. He has authority in creation. See, Jesus... When we see Jesus, we see God. I think Pastor Bill Unger mentioned that in his sermon two weeks ago. When he said, if you want to see God, see Jesus. If you want to know where God is, find out where Jesus is or who Jesus is. When you see Jesus, you'll see God. Thank you, Pastor Bill, for that. So verse number 16 supports verse number 15. It says that by him, by Jesus... All things were created. Wow, really? Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this says, Jesus created everything. Therefore, Jesus is God in the flesh. And now he's not here in the flesh, but he's in the, here, here in the spirit. So, Jesus created everything. And let's just go through this. By him, all things were created that are in heaven. And are on the earth, whether they're invisible or whether they're visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Can we talk about this for a minute? But it says Jesus created everything in heaven. What's in heaven? Angels, cherubim, seraphim, the rankings, the leaders. You know, in First Samuel one, which we're studying on Wednesday night. We talk a lot about Hannah and Samuel and Eli and his sons. Let's not forget the point. When they went to Shiloh to worship every year, they went to worship who? The Lord of hosts. Who's the Lord of hosts? What host? Jesus is the Lord of heaven. The angels and the different rankings of angels. For instance, like Michael is a messenger angel. I'm sorry, Michael is a warrior angel. Uh, Gabriel is a messenger angel, as we hear when he announced the birth of Jesus and John the Baptist. But Jesus is the Lord of the hosts. He created everything in heaven. He's the Lord of heaven. And one day, according to Philippians 2, every, every, every demon, every angel, every person will bow before the King of Kings. And confess that he is Lord. I can't wait for that day. When we all bow down, and we're bowing down now, praise God. But one day, all the demons will bow down before Jesus. He's the authority of everything. Could you imagine? Jesus created those, those angels. It's just like people, come to think of it. And those angels departed from the truth. They rebelled against God. And they're still going to be accountable to Jesus. Just like people. We rebel against God. We're still going to be accountable to God. It's the same thing. So he, he says, you know, okay. Um, he created everything in heaven. He created everything on earth. Wow. Again, Genesis 1.1. God created everything. Well, Jesus is God. He created everything on earth. The sun and the stars and the moons and the planets and the mountains and the... And the oceans and the rivers and the lakes and the ponds and the little turtles and the little frogs and the snakes that swim around. Come on. And the little fish that swim and all the animals. He created everything and he created people. In verse number 16, it says, uh, he, he, uh, 
He created um, thrones and, and dominions and principalities and power. He created everything, all the elements that are out there in heaven and on earth. And until people are reconciled with this fact, there's going to be problems. Isn't that the problem? The whole world is going in a different direction. And the Lord has provided a way to have peace with God. And the world is not flowing with what he offers. And so there's problems. And I don't have to tell you all the problems. I just remember Labor Day weekend, I I heard a a news report. And to tell you the truth, I'm a little tired of the news these days. Are are you a little tired of it? Because it's the same thing. The murder rate is sky high. Philadelphia, Seattle, and Chicago Labor Day weekend had record high numbers of murder. Come on. Is there something wrong here? The fires, the droughts, the the violence, all the stuff that's going on. But until people get right with God, there's going to be problems. And realize that we were made through him and we were made for him. We're made for God. Okay, now, now, now this is about God. It's not about us. He made us for himself. This is who God is. We could fight and rebel, and sometimes we do. But we would be so better off if we just surrender to his lordship. You know, it says in Romans chapter 8, forget about people for a minute, even the earth is moaning, waiting for redemption. He made everything, and everything's kind of corrupt. Even though the, the world is corrupt, everything. And the, the, earth, the earth is groaning for redemption. Even the earth is affected by the fall of mankind. So, verse 16, all things were created through him, and all things are created for him. This is the God that we serve. So, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say, you can't argue with it. You can't argue with it. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. We were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And until we get that, we're going to be in conflict. It's like having a child at home that's always rebelling against something that you say, just for the fact of rebelling because they want to rebel. It's going to be miserable until that person comes in line. Hello? Those of you that have young people at home, (laughs) you know what I mean. It's going to be a problem. And you're not doing anything wrong. You're just trying to do the best you can and set some guidelines or whatever. But until that person yields, there's going to be a problem. So verse number 17 says, And and he is before all things, and in in him all things consist. He's before, in other words, he always was, always is, and always will be. He always was there. He's before everything. And through him, or in him, all things consist. In other words, all things are held together. All things have a purpose and a meaning because Jesus is involved in everything. This is the God that we serve. Why do we have church, by the way? Why are you online today watching this service? Because we we realize there's a bigger purpose in life than all that we see on the outside. We're here to worship God, our maker, our provider, our healer, our deliverer. We're here to give God an opportunity to to speak to our hearts. We're here to hold down the fort until the trumpet sounds and we hear him come back again. 
We're here to carry the torch of faith until Jesus comes. So he, verse 17, he was before everything. He always was, he always will be. He said in, 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 uh, in the Gospels, before Abraham was, I am. And in him all things consist. In verse number 18, it says, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. Who is the beginning, he's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He's supreme. He's God. Matthew 16, 18, you know the passage. Jesus said, I'm building my church. I'm building my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said in Matthew 28, all authority is given to me. Now you go and spread the gospel. This is my church. And you're my servants. You go out and spread the gospel. Ephesians 1.22 says that the Father gave Jesus the authority to be the head over all things. Verse 18 says he's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. So that he would have the preeminence. He would be supreme. So his credentials of being preeminent are that he's the creator. He's the glue that holds everything together. He's the living redeemer. Revelation 1.5 says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. So let me read 15 to 18 again real quickly. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I find it so interesting that Paul would be writing this to the church then at that time. He may be correcting some faulty doctrine, maybe. He may just be teaching them, you know, who Jesus really is. But it's such a contrast to what he wrote to the church of Corinth. If you remember that passage where Paul said, we preach Christ and him crucified. Okay. But here he's he's saying, we're preaching Christ who is God in the flesh. And the beauty of it is both statements are absolutely true. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. But taking it all together, he is God in the flesh. The first message I preached from Colossians was called the hope of glory. And and in saying that sermon, we came to a place where where I, I made a statement that we don't need anything else other than the gospel. The gospel brings us life and hope and courage and direction and peace with God. There is salvation in the gospel. And so when you think about how blessed we are to have this gospel, and you know what? If, if you don't like the way I preach, you can find a million different people online that preach the gospel. Go to TV, radio, internet, whatever. In our our country, the word is going forward all the time. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is making his voice heard 
all over the world. I heard a story, I don't have all the details, I want to share this with you, but many of you know D.L. Moody, great evangelist and pastor, theologian. He was living in Chicago in the late 1800s, and at that time, there was a, uh, a huge seminar was being called for by many different denominations. And these people had the brainstorm to get all these Christian people, semi-Christian people, whatever, all these people together, get all their ideas together. And out of this meeting, they're going to develop a new denomination that has all the best qualities of Jesus and all these other churches or denominations. And that would probably include a lot of faulty doctrine. So D.L. Moody's, you know, he got, a, he got wind of this and his companions were telling him, you got to go there and protest. Stand against all that stuff. It's all rubbish. And D.L. Moody made a statement and he said, in essence, what he said was, no, we're going to arrange for evangelistic teams to go out on the streets of Chicago when they're meeting. And we're going to present the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to combat anything that they're saying. We're not going to conflict with anything they're saying. We're going to preach the gospel. That Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose again from the third day. He ascended to glory. He's coming back again. He's God in the flesh. He's here to meet your need. And that weekend, there's a record number of people that came to Christ through that ministry. What I'm saying is... It doesn't matter where you go or what, what kind of Jesus you make him out to be. If he's not the Jesus in the Bible, it doesn't matter. Because the Jesus of the Bible is the one that will save and heal and deliver. And this Jesus is absolutely coming back again. Amen? So the preeminence of Christ. So when I think of Colossians 1, 15 to 18... He's presented as he really is. Verse 18, the living head of the church. Let that sink in right now. We have someone we can go to that hears us. Someone that kind of steers us and guides us along the way. He's got a whole system put into place. It's called the church. And uh, he's got a way to do what he wants to do. But he's the living head of the church. In verse 19, it says, all the fullness dwells in him. Verse Chapter 2, verse 9, I said it before. But in this Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Is he a friend of sinners? Yeah, he is that. Is he the carpenter's son? Yeah, he's that too. Is he the sacrificial lamb? Yes, he is. Is he risen from the dead? Yes, he is. Is he coming again? Yes, he's all that, but he's more than all that. He is God come in the flesh. And this is the God. I want to encourage everyone that's hearing this. This is the God we must reckon with. Forget about the denomination, the pastor, the speaker, whatever. It's about God and you. What are you going to do with Jesus? And you may come up with all sorts of arguments. And there's books galore about everything else. But if it's not in the word of God, it does not matter one bit. He's preeminent, meaning he is supreme, meaning he is God in the flesh. So for somebody hearing this, maybe somebody online, that may be a new revelation for you. Because there's a lot of scriptures that say Jesus is the son of God and he is the son of God. Absolutely. But he's also God in the flesh. 
And this is what draws the line between biblical Christianity and everything else that's out there. And there's so much out there. We call them cult groups. If, someone, if a group denies the deity of Christ, we refer to them as a cult. And they may be perfectly good people. And they are many times. They're, they're fine people with faulty doctrine. So we preach, as Paul said, Christ and him crucified. But we also preach Christ, as he says here, as the, as the image of the invisible God. So I was thinking about this. I want to give you three aspects to think about as we kind of wrap this sermon up here. Just quickly, three, three aspects of the preeminence of Christ. Number one is this. He is absolutely alive today. He is risen from the dead. We serve a risen, living Savior. Don't ever forget it. Don't let Satan whisper something in your ear. Don't let somebody say your God doesn't exist. He is alive today. No doubt about it. But the thing about Jesus being alive, there's, there's something to be said about that. Because Lazarus arose from the dead too. Jairus' daughter arose from the dead. In Acts, in Old Testament, there are many people arose from the dead in the Bible, but Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. He's the, in verse 18, he's the firstborn of the dead. He's the first to arise. He's the first to ascend out of many that will ascend later. 1 Corinthians 15, you know, this is a great passage for Easter Sunday, but the church in Corinth was debating, who is this Jesus and what, what good is his resurrection for us? And Paul said, if Jesus didn't arise from the dead, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, and our preaching is empty. He said, if you have only hope in this life, that Jesus is here to get you through this life only, you're the most pitied person of all. And many people believe that today. They don't think about eternity. I want Jesus now to get me through this jam I'm in. Forget about eternity. Forget about surrendering my soul to him. I just want him to get me out of trouble. Many people are still there. But 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of many that have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first one to arise, rise from the dead and go to glory. He's the first one. And guess what? We're all going to do that. Hallelujah. That's the God that we serve. Jesus is alive and well. And you may ask, what is he doing right now? Well, he, the scripture says he's making intercession. He's praying. But in John 14, Jesus has said something very important. He said, um, in my father's house are, are many mansions, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may come also. If this wasn't going to happen, I would have told you so. But I'm going to do this, I'm going to get, get it all ready, and when the time is, has come, the father will say, come, bring your church to me. So he is risen. He's alive. He's preparing a place for us in glory. Remember the story of the Galilean wedding. When the groom would fall in love and pledge his love to, the, to his bride. And, and then he would go home and prepare a room in his father's house. And when the room was ready to go, ready to be used, the father would say, go get your bride. Well, Jesus is now waiting for the father to say, go get your bride. So he's a preeminent one because he's alive today. Let me go back to how we started the service. Psalm 147, verse 3, I think it was. 
He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up the wounds of the hurting. He's alive today to do that. That's the God we serve. This is the God of the Bible. He, he did everything. He went to the cross. He gave his life. He did all that. But he did it for each individual in the world today. I want to encourage you. If you don't know the living Savior of Jesus Christ, please get to know him. When you get to know him, you'll get to know God. He's alive today. And I would say, if you haven't done that yet, he's knocking on the door of your heart saying, come on, let me in. I want to come in and dine with you. I want to be a part of your life. Oh no, my life is too complicated. No, Jesus says, no, no, no. I'll uncomplicate the mess. Let me come in. But I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not perfect yet. No, you're not going to be perfect. Let me come in to your life. He's alive today. I love to think that he's alive today in 2022 with all of the conflicting beliefs, all the commotion, all the stuff going on in the world, in our minds, our busyness. He's alive today waiting for us to ask him to straighten us out and straighten out our path. The second thing is this regarding the preeminence of Christ, that he is worthy. Verse 17 He's before all things. In him, everything consists. He always was, always is, always will be. He holds everything together. He's eternal. He's the eternal creator that holds the world and the events together. He's worthy of praise. And only God is worthy of praise. Philippians 2.11, God said, Therefore God, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That every, every name will... Proclaim that he is Lord. Every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth will proclaim that he is Lord. Every, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. I want to turn to uh, Revelation 14. I was listening to a sermon the other day by uh, Reverend Robert Jeffries. Anyone know who he is? Robert Jeffries. Great preacher. He said somebody in his... Now, he's a Baptist minister. He said somebody in his church... Complained that the worship was too loud. And he said, he's a very conservative man, you know, very conservative church. He brought him to this scripture, Revelation 14, verse 2. He said, um, the scripture says that John, when he had a glimpse of glory, he, he heard, heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters. You know what many waters sounds like? <laughs> loud. He, he, and, and, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And this conservative pastor said, no, our praise is never too loud. If you think this is loud, wait till you get to glory. That'll be loud. The scripture does say praise the Lord with a clashing cymbal, right? So he's worthy to be praised and honored. That's why every Sunday, every time we get together, we make time to praise God. He's worthy of our praise. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, I'll read it, but Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse number 4. John was, had a glimpse of, of, of heaven. In verse number 4, it says, John, it says, I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. You know, the scroll in Revelation. One of the elders said, don't, be, don't weep 
Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him whose lives forever, worshipped him who lives forever and ever. I'll tell you what, I, I use this analogy I mean, some of us played sports when we were younger. Some of us attempt to play sports when we're older, but it doesn't work out so well. But listen, when the referee blows the whistle, it is game time. You're going to start the game whether you're ready or not. When we start worship, I I, I like to say this, whenever we start, if we're starting 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, we're going to worship God. Now, you may not feel like worshiping God, and I may not feel like worshiping God on a given day, but that's beside the point. He is worthy to receive our worship. We would do well just to honor him and bless him with a song of praise. I mean, we're going to do it in in heaven, right? So we might as well start doing it here on earth. So he's preeminent because he's alive and he's worthy to receive our praise. And number three is he's preeminent because he's coming back again. This living God is absolutely coming back again. Man, that's an important thing to remember. Many of us don't think about that. We just want to get through the day. We just want to get through the season we're in. Man, God has a whole nother plan. He, you know, Acts chapter 1, when he ascended into heaven, the apostles are looking saying, oh, look at him. And the angels are saying, why are you looking like that? The same way he's going up, he's going to come down again. Titus says, this is the blessed hope of the church. The soon appearing of our Lord Jesus. Peter said, in the last days, scoffers will come. Oh, they're here already. There's a lot of scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? Oh, yeah, Jesus said he was 2,000 years went by. Where is he? Peter says, hang on, brother. Hang on, sister. He's coming. He's coming. Guarantee he's coming. Paul said it's a great mystery, this, this coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4. You could turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. Verse number 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's preeminent because he keeps his promises, and he's coming back for his church. When is he coming back? I don't know. If you know someone who knows, don't believe him, because nobody knows. (laughs) But he's coming back. We think it's going to be soon. I think we're safe to say that, looking at everything. But he's preeminent because he keeps his word. He is definitely coming back. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together if we can. Just in summary, the preeminence of Christ. He is risen. Hallelujah. Come on, say it with me. He is risen. That, that first Resurrection Sunday, why are you here at the tomb? Don't you know? He's not here. He is risen, just like he said. Number two, he's preeminent because he is absolutely worthy to be praised. He's perfect. We all need to just bow down before him and worship our God. Don't ever get too busy to worship the Lord, by the way. Don't ever get too preoccupied with life and your own perceived importance. Nothing could be more important than taking time out of a day to worship Almighty God. I think we're onto something, those of you that are joining me. Early morning worship is working really well for me. I hope it is for you. Many times before, I I would do it later or sometimes skip it because it was too late. Early morning is where it's at for me. He deserves our worship early in the morning. As soon as we open up our eyes and step out of the bed, We should be giving thanks to God. Lord, you got me through the night. I'm ready to go. (laughs) And, and, And finally, he's preeminent because he's definitely coming again. Let's see, verse number 18. Can we read that together? I think it's on the screen up there. Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. One more time. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Every head bowed for just a moment. We're going to sing in a minute, but I wonder if there's somebody here. Now we're just presenting Jesus to you. You don't have to join this church or join any church or whatever. You don't have to say so many prayers or sing so many hymns or run around the building ten times. But if you want to bow down to Jesus, he does often require a public testimony of doing that. I'm going to ask you if you're here today and you've never done that or you feel like you need to do that again as we close out and and pray and sing, just come up to the front and, and bow down to the Lord. Some here, maybe somebody online, everything I just said, you knew already. Which is even a scarier place to be if you don't respond to it. 
to know and not respond is a scary thing. But I wonder if there's some here today that maybe are feeling like, I, I want him, I know he's my friend. I know he heals my broken heart. But you don't know him as your Lord. You know him as your friend. And it's good to have him as your friend. But now he's asking maybe there's somebody that needs to make him their Lord. And the last question would be, as, as is a heavy burden on my heart, every day are my loved ones, my family, people close to me that may know some of this and they've basically rejected it. And my heart is grieved over that. So I want to pray to the preeminent Christ to release his Holy Spirit upon those that I'm concerned about and and that you're concerned about. Our sons and our daughters and our parents maybe, our relatives, our friends. Hallelujah. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. If, If you want to have some altar time, the altars are open, but... Let's tell him he's worthy. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb. Yes, Lord. You are worthy, O God. Worthy is the Lamb. For you are holy. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Holy are you. Hallelujah. Come on. You know this. Let's sing it together. Jesus. Jesus.
anybody else but I feel like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know here's the thing yeah. Jesus. the NFL doesn't matter Jesus, Jesus. Major League Baseball doesn't Watch matter me. what's going on doesn't matter Jesus. you know because there's a part of it we got to end no 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 we don't have to end I'm feeling like this it's time to bow down. It's time to bow before the Lamb. I'm not worthy. You're worthy. Lord, thank you for receiving me. Thank you for letting me come into your presence. Thank you for allowing your blood to cover even me and all of my garbage. Oh, God. Oh, God. Hallelujah. 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 I believe when we get a glimpse of, of God, of who he is, we just surrender. We should surrender.
in the garden that night, Jesus said to his, to his closest friends, couldn't you just stay with me for an hour? Couldn't you just be with me? The Lord just wants us to be with him. I'm going to ask everyone to, if you can, physically, if you're able to, to bow down, to take a knee. Take a knee. If you can. If you can't, it's okay. Father God, we bow down to you. Jesus, I know, we know you're here. The preeminence. Lord, I remember we used to sing a song that said something like, when we get a glimpse of your glory, all the things of life that are concerning to us grow strangely dim in the light of you. And Lord, I know there's people right now here, maybe online, We are so concerned about our families, our kids, our money, our cars, our our repairs to the cars, our relationships that are strained, our jobs. Lord, we, we are so, and it's legitimate. We have a lot of concerns, but your word tells us time and again, bring them all before you. For you care for us. So Lord, as the pastor and the one praying out loud right now, I want to pray on behalf of everyone here, Lord. We we take all of our burdens and we all have we all have them, different types, but we all have burdens. And we're all worried about some things, even though we try not to. Truth be told, we, we get anxious about things. But Lord, we just want to worship you now and believe that as we worship you, Matthew 6, as we seek you first and we run to you first, that all the other things of life will be taken care of. Yes, we must do certain things, but Lord, we, we, have, to, we have to do this first. So Lord, we bow down and we worship you now. We bow down and we worship you, oh God. We say thank you, Lord, for receiving us. Thank you that your blood covering is enough to cover our sins, our sinfulness, our sin nature, the things we've done and said and think about. Thank you, Lord, that by your stripes we're healed. You you make us holy by the application of your blood upon us. So thank you, Lord, that we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory and honor. And we pray, Lord, Father, I pray for the church right now that throughout this day and throughout this week in particular, that the whole idea of the preeminence of Christ would burn in our hearts, that you are everything. Everything else is little. Everything else is less than. You are everything. 
And as we give you place in our lives to be everything, we're going to have the faith to see you move mountains in our lives and provide where it seems to be impossible. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for opening the veil, turning the veil, just turning the curtain and that we could get a glimpse of who you are. Yes, you're our friend and all that. You, you are, but you're God. And we worship you, oh God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask Brother Doug just to lead us for a little bit. You can stay as long as you want. I'm not going to have a formal uh, closing. Uh, if you have children downstairs, it may be a good idea to go down and get them. Feel free to welcome them into the sanctuary. Well, let's just keep it holy, keep it consecrated as we worship the Lord. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock on the live stream prayer time. No sweet.